Hello, and welcome to the Black, Black Magic, Magic Treehouse. Tree reverb, reverb, reverb. The podcast where we discuss the children's horror media that you really wanted to share with a chum. My name is Eric, oh. and with me is my number one fan, Jose. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I I don't I don't know what these intros you always somehow manage to totally catch me off guard like I I'm almost certain that you're going to go one way with them like the the more obvious way the way that I would go and then you just come out with a pun that I just did not see coming and I don't know how to feel about it. Am I admiring it? Am I just shaking my head at its awfulness? I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. So mm-hmm. I guess that's my way of saying congrats. Yeah, I think that's the only proper reaction to a pun is admiration and disgust in equal measure. <laughs> um, this is so true. today I was listening to the Creepover episode the other day uh, and... I was annoyed at myself for taking so long to just say the damn title of the book. So I'm just going to go ahead and say today we are covering a book called Tales of the Great White by Jocelyn Heaney. Scary stories to sink your teeth into. And um, if I had any sense of timing whatsoever, I probably would have saved this book for summer because it seems like, you know, swimming, a summer read. Uh, But in my defense... This is October in Colorado. It has been in like the 70s and 80s here since autumn started. So it still feels like, you know, it's like second summer, really. It actually kind of uh, puts my mind at ease hearing that because, I mean, I know I've griped about it in past episodes, uh, especially the no trick-or-treating creepover episode, just how uh, miserable it usually is here in Florida around this time. Uh, And it yeah, undoubtedly feels like a second summer, nine times out of ten. We had a pretty good week this past week, and um, part of me is, like, my, my brain is screaming right now, oh my god, I'm t- we're talking about the weather on the podcast, but you know what? Shut up. Here we are. Um, uh, so yeah, that kind of came as a, as a pleasant surprise, uh, where we had, like, lows of 50s for some of the mornings which is honestly completely unheard of in october in florida uh so i was thankful for that we're starting to warm up a bit again so my my depression is on the rise uh so i guess i'm both yeah i'm yeah things are going according to schedule uh i'm really shocked to hear that is kind of more or less the case for colorado though um Wow. Yeah, I think next week it's supposed to get a little bit more um, autumnal in terms of being in like the 60s. But Mm. what is this bizarro world? It's cool in Florida. It's warm in Colorado. Sometimes it's like already snowing here by this point. Um, So, Jose, Hmm. we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. Tales of the Great White, as I said. Um, And the cover uh, cover is worth looking up. On our Instagram, uh, Black Magic Treehouse Pod, um, and it's really uh, the colors are really cool. It's a pretty standard cover that you would imagine for a book about a shark, with like the a close up of the shark mouth as it's about to devour you whole, and then the 
title is kind of shakily floating inside the teeth, but the colors of it are really lurid mm. in an interesting way. Um, how do you feel about sharks as a horror, I guess, subgenre unto themselves of the creature feature? Well, I don't know that I have feelings about them one way or the other as far as uh, an archetype or trope or whichever you choose to call it. Um, I don't know that I was ever one of those kids or I don't, I don't know if I was ever one of those kids who was ever really too aware slash scared of sharks. Um, you know, I feel like and you grew up in came Florida, up, right? So it, were you always kind of by the yeah. ocean? Uh, yeah, we, we've always lived on, um, the West coast. Um, so the beach has never been too far from where we are. Uh, especially as a kid, I feel like we went, if not every weekend, it felt like every other weekend. Um, and I have some indelible memories of going to the beach. Um, the, the not really related to sharks or even the ocean so much, um, on the way to the beach, there was this little stretch of road that uh, had, how shall we say, a tree tunnel. Um, so it was just that, you know, the trees on either side of the road had grown in such a way. Don't ask me what they were, but, you know, the comparison I can only think to make, which I don't believe is what they were, is like mangroves, the way they kind of uh, twine together. So that was what was going on up over our heads so that as we passed through it, it was like passing through, you know, a shadowy tunnel. And for whatever reason, um, my siblings and I had this habit every time we passed through that tunnel that we would adopt, um, monster personas. So as soon as in, you know, there was always that sense of anticipation as the car was coming up to the tree tunnel. It's like, all right, gang, it's coming up. Get ready. Oh, what, which one are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to do this. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do this one, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as we hit the tree tunnel, you know, somebody would start howling like a werewolf. Somebody would start cackling like a witch. Uh, a, a, you know, presumably the person who adopted the vampire persona was just sitting in the car seat going, blah, blah. <laughs> and we would just do that for the whole width or excuse me length of the tree tunnel and uh then we just go back to being regular kids by the time we got to the other side um but uh something i was thinking of prior to this recording since i knew we were going to be talking about this shark book this great white shark book or whatever kind of shark book it is um i actually had an incident oh i don't know when i was second grade or something like that where I was in the water and my mother was up on the beach and I had kind of swam out to a spot that was you know pretty far out for a kid my age so you know she just kind of had an uh, a, a cautious eye kept on me and something happened and we all remember this happening uh I still can't really account for it but I was, and I use this phrase lightly because I just don't, I have no idea what happened. I was pulled under the water, um, like suddenly, jerkily. And the next thing I see as my head bobs back to the surface is my mother in my memory's eye doing like a full-on Olympic 
dive into the ocean and swimming out to uh, fetch me back, presumably from the jaws of death. And uh, she swam me back up onto the beach. And it's just one of those weird little moments that happen. You know, I I think she's convinced that, you know, like I, I was uh, assaulted by some kind of sea creature. But, you know, it, it's not like I was bitten or mauled in any minor or major way. I was just pulled under. So, you know, to me, that makes it seem like it was more likely that it was like a current <laughs> that just kind of got the best of my little second grade body and pulled me under. Um, but again, the way that it felt, the way that I remember it feeling and looking um, as the person who was experiencing it is like that moment from uh you know the prologue to jaws uh where you just kind of see um our poor our poor young victim there uh getting jerked under the water um kind of in a spastic motion and uh yeah thankfully i i was not uh i did not take a, a rodeo ride on a great white shark that day so i don't know what happened but that's like my quote unquote shark story <laughs> at the beach. Well, you know, the thing about swimming in the ocean is you're pretty likely to be assaulted. Oh my God. How did I do that to myself? (laughs) How did I do that to myself? God damn Uh, it. Yeah. I don't have anything comparable to that. Um, cause, uh, yeah, I grew up in Illinois. So we had, we had like Michigan was like sort of a beach, I guess. The Uh, land of lakes. Well, I don't know if Chicago is the land of lakes. But there are well, there I was, is a I, was, I was talking about Michigan. Oh, I didn't say I was from Michigan, but hey, great listening skills. Anyway. Didn't you just say that you had Michigan? Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan. Oh, okay. Is that nowhere near <laughs> me? Oh, you know what? Never mind. Forget it. Forget <laughs> it. <laughs> so so have how how often in your life have you actually been to uh you know a beach with the real ocean oh probably like i don't know a dozen times maybe oh okay both on various uh, coasts atlantic and pacific okay no well yeah i guess i have been to the pacific in the sense that we go to uh, california every year for the turner classic movies film festival but i've never actually set foot in nerd yeah yeah. Uh, just kidding. Jaws it's me being is just petty about and to jealous. celebrate its 50th anniversary. I think was it 75, or maybe it was 73. Yep, 75. Yeah, 75. Okay. Pretty, um, sh- pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it is kind of um, in terms of movies. Uh, I think shark movies are kind of like exorcism movies in that there's like one. And then a bunch of derivatives of that one. Uh, yeah. I really mistimed my drink there. Chug, I thought chug, you were going to say more. Um, and then... Well, you can always count on me talking a lot, I guess. So getting to this book proper, Tales of the Great White, um, I know you've heard of this as a function of me asking you several times to keep Googling it for me because I could never remember what the title was. Uh, it's one of those titles. It's like, it's so generic that it's like, how do you find that later? It's mm. just like, I don't know. I think it was called like something great white, which it is, 
but also that's kind of hard to Google, but somehow you keep finding it for me. Um, and I was going to blog about this book way back when we were talking about doing, a, I don't know, one of the many blogs that you've proposed to me over the years. <laughs> it's something or other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've kind of had this one in my back pocket since then, and I've been eager to get to it. It's one that I, I am going to read a story out of it. And unlike, uh, the story we did from Uncovered, which I went into completely having never read it before. This book I did read when I was younger, and I got it at a Scholastic Book Fair, bought it based entirely on that cover. And my memory is, like, because I really wanted every story to be about somebody getting gorily devoured by a shark, you know? Absolutely. And I thought, like, maybe they'll just be, like, different times and places of people getting eaten by sharks. Like one will be modern, one will be like the Victorian era, one will be in outer space, you know, whatever. Um, but my memory <laughs> is that there's only one story that was really satisfying on that level, which is the first one, which is the one I'm going to read. Ooh. And uh, and then the others were like, I'll go ahead and read the titles because there's six stories. The first one, which I'm going to read is called The Legend of Harvey Shank. And then... Man mm. and Shark, Shark Boy. Maybe that. Uh, I don't know if any filmmakers owe a debt to that one. Um, Shadow in the Waves, The Last Predator, and Shark Sense. And I think the one that I'm going to read is the only one that actually. Well, not to spoil anything, but I think it's the only one that actually features a shark attack, and the rest of them are just like, like I think one of them is about um, like you know, a Hawaiian legend about sharks as, you know, spirits of the, you know, that kind of stuff, which I'm sure, like, I'm not saying that's not interesting, but when you're 12 yeah. and you see a, a, a cover of a shark about to eat your face off, you're like, what is this nonsense? Exactly. I'm not here for cultural um, knowledge. Do you have anything you want to say about, uh, <laughs> uh yeah, well, one <laughs> One thing I was going to say was I find it um, very funny. It was probably um, not intentional on the part of the author, but uh, I find it funny that in the table of contents, the story Man and Shark precedes the one called Shark Boy. And I feel like that tells a story right there. <laughs> I was like, was, is... <laughs> The second one, a continuation of the one that came before it, is this like a birds and the bees kind of thing? Right. First you have man and shark, and then comes shark boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, oh, what's what stories being told between those two narratives? Hey, we'll never know. Yep, not today, not this episode. All right, so uh, should I just get into it? I mean, we're only fifteen minutes in. I feel bad about being like efficient and everything, but. Well, I feel like we got to scramble to find some kind of tangent that we can ramble on for the next 15 minutes at I least thought about before it. we actually start reading the story. <laughs> Given that this is October, I have been watching a lot of I have been watching a lot of horror movies. So I was going to ask like, "Hey, have you seen anything uh good horror movies lately?" cuz I sure have, and I could tell you all about them right now. Well, let's... then I was like, "Yeah, I think I do want to try and get this episode in under an hour." Yeah, I think we owe it to um, our loyal audience of five people to 
you know, kind of kind of throw them a bone here and, you know, actually get right down to the thing we say we're going to talk about right away. So in honor of uh, those beautiful half dozen people, this is for you. The Legend, the legend of, of Harvey, Harvey Shank. Uh, and I should say that um, after every title in the contents and also on the story proper, there's a little silhouette of a shark. Isn't that cute? You love those. You love those little details. I do. I think they're a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, are. not everything's going to compare to Animorphs where it will actually transform from human into animal as you flip the pages. But, you know, if you can approximate that kind of fun. I'll I'll get you the rest of the way there. Well, once perfection is all right. Are you ready, Jose? Oh boy, am I for the legend of Harvey Shank? Okay. I just I don't I don't know that Harvey's ready, but I am. The kids at Pacific Middle School can't stop talking about Harvey Shank. Between classes, there are always two or three seventh graders standing by the water fountain in the main hall, whispering a new version of the legend. When they see me coming, they immediately fall silent and walk away because I alone saw what happened to Harvey, and they know it. Harvey Shank, practical joke king of Pacific Middle School, was serious about only one thing. My best friend, Darcy Parkman, the only person I've ever met who is as much a total marine biology geek as I. Harvey and I were rivals. There's really no way that Darcy, a pretty straight-A student, would have ever gone for a delinquent like Harvey Shank. Still, I had my doubts. Darcy and I were good friends, but I was a little shy about letting her know exactly how I felt about her. Harvey Shank, on the other hand, was anything but shy. He did whatever he wanted to do, no matter what the consequences, particularly if he could get a good laugh out of it. In sixth grade, Harvey was expelled for lighting fireworks in the bathroom. A few weeks later, he was banned from St. Bridget's Catholic Church for putting a whoopee cushion inside the confessional. Until the Fish Heads camping trip to Stinson Beach last summer, I thought Harvey Shank was invincible. Turn to page two. Darcy and I founded the Fish Heads, otherwise known as the Deep Sea Appreciation and Preservation Society. Most kids dropped out when they found out that our advisor, Ms. Brent, required a weekly oral report. They, whoop, typo. They only regular members besides Darcy and me were Mike Ostinopoulos, a self-proclaimed expert on plankton, and two irritating twins named Shane and Shala Pollard, who thought everything in the ocean was boring except moray eels. Harvey didn't know a manatee from a marlin, but he came to the meeting so Darcy would think he was obsessed with marine life as we were. He even gave a presentation about the giant squid, although it was obvious he'd copied it straight from an encyclopedia. When the Stinson Beach field trip was announced, Harvey volunteered to help Darcy and Ms. Brent collect permission slips. Give me a break. Darcy and I sat together on the school van chartered for the trip. Do you think Harvey Shank is turning over a new leaf, Philip? Darcy asked. I didn't want to sound jealous, so I gave a fake smile and said, Stranger things have happened, I guess. 
Stinson Beach was located on the northern California coast. Sea lions were in abundance this time of year, and as we left the bus and headed for the beach, Darcy and I saw hundreds of them playing on the craggy rocks of a small island just offshore. Later that evening, after setting up camp, exploring the tide pools, and listening to Ms. Brent give a talk around the campfire on marine algae, most of us were asleep as soon as our heads hit the pillow. Everyone, that is, except Harvey, who crawled into my tent at two in the morning. All right, I've been reading for a while, Jose. You have any uh, thoughts, reactions, predictions about what's going to happen in our good buddy Phillip's tent right now? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm really amused by... Uh... <sighs> this is just like something that I think is... Uh... I want to say indicative of authors writing for a young audience of a particular vintage like i think we've kind of come a long way in the uh, arena of juvenile literature as far as like voice and uh, techniques are concerned uh i just find it really amusing that the main character here has a very hard-boiled flavor and kind of like outdated um basically it does not this like doesn't really sound like any 12 year old that i know of i mean i don't know i'm probably just talking out my ass here um but i've noticed this thing with um juvenile literature of an older vintage where it's like i don't know have we just kind of declined as a civilization and society so that this, you know, voice, um, this narrative voice is bringing us false and more like, oh, this is just the adult author talking rather than a genuine kid, or, um, or, or, or is that the case? Um, have you noticed that? Uh, yes, and I don't think it's gotten any better in the ensuing years. Oh, really? I, I think the phoniness is just more like... Um, I watched the first, I don't know if you care about the new Disney plus goosebumps. I'm curious about it. I watched the first episode mainly because of Dana put it on. And within the first like two minutes, one of the kids, they're like at a store and one of the kids is like asked to pay, I think because the lady doesn't take cards or something. And the kid's like, you know, we live in a cashless society, right? And I was just like, oh boy. <laughs> We're in for a treat here, I guess. Yeah, uh, it's like, well, t- tell me, tell me, you were uh, composed in a writer's room without telling me that you were composed in a writer's <laughs> room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, uh, I know people love Netflix's Wednesday. I absolutely loathe it. I thought it was awful, and that had so much of that dialogue too. Is every every character is like spouting off about the patriarchy every three lines. Oh, man. Just like, just because you saw that on a message board one time, middle-aged writer, doesn't mean that's like how kids go around relating to each other, like in in everyday life. No, truly. Because um, this is not to say that kids don't say these kinds of things, dear listener. But honestly, they, when I've heard it in real life, you know, fr- from the mouths of babes, as it were, it like really gives me a turn. It's like, those are the outliers. It's like, where did you hear that? 
<laughs> and it's, it's so it's not to say that it's not possible, but it is definitely uh, an anomaly and not the kind of, you know, it's not in as it's not as abundant as popular entertainment would have you believe <laughs> or want you to believe. Yeah, I don't think it's like every sentence out of a high schooler's mouth. So maybe what I'm saying is I prefer Philip's hard boiled, completely artificial style to like, I don't know what you would call it, like hyper realism mm, or whatever. Yeah, uh, as opposed to an author trying too hard. No, I, I see. I definitely see what you're saying. I, between the two, I probably would prefer an adult just writing as an adult. Um, and in a sense, you know, kind of giving credit. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, as far as like predictions, you know, that beloved archetype, especially I, 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 I wonder, I really wonder if the prankster is as beloved or I should say (laughs) abused archetype of any other genre outside the realm of horror because i feel like we we see them all the time and we know what's going to happen to them as a result of that um i'm curious like do pranksters and practical jokesters uh appear crop up in other genres you know other other kinds of stories um because i feel like they're really you know, even more so than because a, a villain, a villain is a more generalized um, archetype or or character. You know, every every kind of story uh, of any kind has a villain of one kind of an, another. But a practical jokester and a prankster is something else. And especially in the horror genre, it's like as soon as they arrive on the scene their their destiny's pretty much laid out right there for them um whereas you know a villain it's like well things could go one way or they could go the other it's like oh well but if you're a practical jokester you're you're going to die <laughs> probably in a way that's uh linked to one of uh one of your mischievous uh tricks uh so that's where i see this going for um whatever that kid's name is i've already forgotten it Harvey Shank. Harvey Shank. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Harvey Shank. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's almost Harvey Shark. It's just one letter away. I know. Let's see if uh, old Harvey puts uh, any eggs over his eyes like a true prankster. Okay. Corbett, he whispered, lighting the lantern by my bed. Wake up. Go away, Shank. I mumbled, turning over. Want to play cards or something? Why can't you just go to sleep like a normal person? Because I can't, Harvey mumbled. Not when it's dark. I sat up. You're waking me up in the middle of the night to tell me you're afraid of the dark. You're kidding, right? Harvey stared into the lantern, adjusting the light. No. Something in Harvey's voice made me feel kind of sorry for him. His face looked pale and scared in the glow of the lamp. What can I say? I have a soft heart. I crawled out of my sleeping bag. Harvey grabbed the lantern, and we walked past the cluster of tents down to the beach. What's that? Harvey asked, pointing ahead of us at an object in the sand. Harvey lifted the lantern, and the sign came into view. 
Hazardous conditions swim at your own risk. What do you think it means? asked Harvey. If you had done your homework... Oh, I should really differentiate these voices. I was trying to make Philip sound more beleaguered by life. If you had done your homework, you'd know that the ocean can be dangerous for lots of reasons. Strong currents, poisonous fish. All right, all right. Harvey reached into his pocket and pulled out a deck of cards. Want to play? Believe it or not, Harvey and I sort of bonded that night at Stinson Beach. Two weeks later, just before we started seventh grade, Harvey threw a party for the fish heads at the Oasis Apartments, where he lived. The pool is too green and nasty to swim in, so I decided to have a costume party, Harvey explained over the phone. I don't know, Shank, I said. I don't have anything to wear. <laughs> Philip is becoming progressively more just a uh, Debbie Downer. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting uh, hints of Urkel, too. I don't know what to wear. <laughs> Did I do that? Uh, good friend, Urkel. Friend of the mm -hmm. podcast. Yeah back for revenge man did you see that cinemassacre just put out an episode about that really uh, they put out an episode of monster madness about uh Stevel. you know we which as of this recording has not been released to the public yet so yeah i can't even say they stole it from us i i'll say that because we probably recorded well i don't know they probably did it but they probably recorded theirs before us anyway but <laughs> Between that and the Pee Wee Herman debacle, I feel like we are just on this side of being out of the curve. <laughs> but, you know, like a pair we're on of tragic... the cutting edge of 30 yeah. years ago. <laughs> but like a pair of tragic heroes, we're always like just a minute or two late before somebody else gets to it or <laughs> somebody else is making a big deal about it. Uh, well, let's turn back to it's Harvey. It's rough being us. I don't know, Shank, I said. <laughs> I don't have anything to wear. Besides, I think costume parties are kind of stupid. Come on, Corbett, Harvey wheedled. Where's your club spirit? What about that fish costume you made for the marine biology fair last year? My grouper suit had won first prize. I never, man, there's a lot of typos in this book. I never, though, I'd have another chance to wear the costumes I'd spent long, agonizing hours creating. Harvey went on and on about the ocean theme. My uncle knows a guy who makes plastic body parts for crippled people. He's going to give me a fake leg for my pirate costume. Darcy told me she's coming as a mermaid. I felt a flash of anger when Harvey mentioned Darcy's name. I had to be there if Darcy was. Still, I acted hesitant, letting Harvey beg me until I finally agreed. I retrieved the giant head and swim fins from a box in the garage. August is not the best time of year to be wandering around dressed like a fish, but being hot and sweaty seemed like a small price to pay for having the coolest costume at the party. My mom dropped I'm, me off at Harvey's on her way to the mall. <laughs> I'm convinced. I'm convinced at this point that uh, what's his name? The Harvey or Philip? Okay, Philip. Yeah, you're Philip. Philip is you. <laughs> After that comment, uh. <laughs> own it. I guess accept I can't deny it. That. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. I'm a grouper fish. My mom dropped me off at Harvey's on her way to the mall. 
I stumbled across the Oasis Apartments parking lot, peering out of the cutout eyes, following cardboard signs that read, Harvey's Party. Darcy was there, but she was wearing a lime green bikini top and shorts. The pool, I don't know why it says butt. The pool, <laughs> uh, the pool was blue and clean. Kids dove off the side or sat on the edge, kicking their feet in the shallow end. When Shane Pollard saw me, she laughed so hard she almost dropped her hot dog. Harvey stood on the diving board, cackling like a hyena. Nice bathing suit, Corbett, he yelled and jumped high in the air, pulling his legs into his chest and crashing into the center of the pool. Oh, I see why he said butt, because she's not in a costume. Okay. Yeah, this was me. (laughs) I stood staring at the water, holding the fish head under my arm. I was going to have to take the bus home wearing green tights and swim fins. I left the party seething with hatred for Harvey Shank. Wait up, Philip. I'll go with you. Darcy ran across the parking lot. Harvey can be so lame sometimes. She stifled a laugh. It, it is a great costume, though. Harvey can be so lame sometimes. Those words sounded like poetry to my ears. Darcy was a saint. She offered to take the bus home with me and even held my dumb fish head in her lap as we sat at the bus stop. We talked about our plans for the club that fall. Darcy wanted to start a campaign to have the school cafeteria serve dolphin-safe tuna. I told her about my latest marine obsession, the strange fish that lived deep in the sea. The hatchetfish and lanternfish look transparent, and their organs glow in the dark. There's also this really cool fish called the warted sea devil. It lives at like 600 fathoms and has this little phosphorescent whisker it uses to attract other fish. And I was so absorbed with talking to Darcy that by the time the bus pulled up, I'd forgotten I was dressed like a giant fish. Harvey didn't attend the school year's first fish heads meeting. I was sure his stupid fantasies about Darcy had been squashed by the reality of the weekly oral reports. The first assignment Ms. Brent gave us to write about how's, oh, was to write about how different marine animals adapted to their environments. I went to the library to look for a book on deep-sea creatures. It was purely by accident that I discovered Great Whites. Strange fish of the sunless seas has been checked out, the librarian said. But this new book may be of interest to you. The title was curved inside a set of open jaws. Oh, much like the title of the book. I mean, cover. Anyway, it read, Great White, the Perfect Predator. The librarian placed it in my hands. I sat down in one of the overstuffed library chairs and opened the book to discover awesome things about Great White's like they ram their snouts through the bars of stainless steel cages. Each time man enters the ocean, the book stated, he enters the realm of the fiercest predator on Earth. Our report was only supposed to be 15 minutes long, but I must have babbled on for at least half an hour. Every part of the great white shark is designed to make it the perfect predator. The upper teeth are serrated like the edges of steak knives the dark color of its dorsal side opposite its white underbelly, which it's named for, helps the shark blend into shadowy kelp beds while it searches for prey, 
swimming above at the surface. Thank you, Philip. That was very informative, Ms. Brent interrupted. But we must move on to Mike's report on dinoflagellates. When the time came for the fish heads to return to Stinson Beach, I begged Miss Brent to allow shark research oh, to hire shark researchers from the Farallon Islands to take us on a great white expedition. After all, Farallon Islands, known for their large shark population, were only a few miles off Stinson Beach. But Ms. Brent thought the idea sounded too dangerous, so I had to settle on another boring look at tide pools. The school van was pulling out of the parking lot when out of nowhere, Harvey Shank rushed on board. I hadn't spoken to him since the pool party, but Harvey plopped down next to me like we were old friends. Unfortunately, Mike had grabbed the seat next to Darcy, who sat several rows behind us, or I could. What are you doing here? I demanded. All right, I'll pause. Any thoughts? Hmm. Uh, I'm surprised, like no. actually. No, no, no. Overall, no. I was surprised um, in much the same way that Philip was, even though the beginning of the story was setting Harvey up to be this kind of wascal. Um, I, I, I legitimately thought after their little get-together on the beach to play cards, I thought, oh, well, maybe this story's going to turn another way. Uh, but then with the whole birthday party grouper costume incident, it's like, oh, no, he, he is a jerk. Um, that segment actually um that had the feel to me of an rl stein moment honestly that that seems like the kind of goofy thing that would happen to the protagonist like oh this is the most embarrassing moment of his life he showed up in a grouper costume you know echoes of um good old bob stein's memories of wearing the duck costume (laughs) as a kid that was the inspiration for haunted mask Mm. Um, those were vibes I got from that segment. Yeah. I think, uh, R.L. Stein's moments got like progressively more outlandish as the series went on, but, but it does feel reminiscent of like an early Goosebumps embarrassing moment as opposed to like, well, but even that book though has, has the, we fed you a real worm. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, exactly. Which is more over the top than anything that ever happened in my school. So. Precisely. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, what I'm assuming is Philip's vengeance plot unfolds. You're, uh, I'm in the voice of Harvey Shank now, that rapscallion. Your fearless leader said I could come along as long as I promise to write some stupid report when I get back. I turned away. So Corbett, Harvey began, do you think Darcy will ever like me? My face flushed. I wanted to say, Darcy would sooner stick pins in her eyes than look twice at you. But I decided to use a different approach. Maybe. How much do you like her? A lot. Harvey retrieved a can of grape soda from his lunch bag and popped it open. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I've liked Darcy ever since I sat behind her in fourth grade. Would you be willing to do anything to make her like you? I guess so, Harvey answered uncertainly. Like what? 
the first thing you have to understand is Darcy Parkman is not your average girl. The words float as effortlessly out of my mouth as if I had memorized them. Darcy doesn't have pictures of Leonardo DiCaprio taped up inside her locker. She has pictures of Jacques Cousteau. Two still culturally relevant references. Yep. Uh, what's your point, Corbett? My point is that Darcy likes adventurers. It's one thing to dare to put a cherry bomb in the school toilet. It's another thing to feel moray eels bite through your wetsuit while you're diving off dangerous reef. Get it? Harvey blew up his empty lunch bag like a balloon. He was just about to pop it when he noticed Ms. Brent glaring at him. Yeah, I get it, Harvey mumbled, letting the air out of the bag. You're saying I don't have a chance. Neither of us said anything the rest of the way to Stinson Beach. Before we begin, Ms. Brent announced, leading us across the empty beach to the tide pools, I'd like to remind you that your field notebooks must include a detailed drawing and a written description of the life you observed in the tide pools. For those of you who seem to have forgotten your notebooks, she said, staring straight at Harvey, I will provide paper and a clipboard. All of us rushed toward the tide pools. Harvey followed Darcy across the rocks, asking if she needed help carrying her school supplies. I wanted to barf. Mike Ostinopoulos found the best tide pool. It was full of crabs and little silver fish. He plunged his hand into the water and retrieved a sea cucumber. It looked more like a rotten eggplant to me. Check it out, Mike said, gently squeezing the sluggish blob. They can throw up their internal organs. A purple ink-like substance squirted all over his white socks. My tide pool contained about as much marine life as a mud puddle. <laughs> Philip is such a sad sack. It was more interesting to observe how Harvey shank. Good. I was just going to do some dumb droopy impression only in talking about marine biology. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, you should see. I don't know why I'm always the one who's reading stuff. You're the one who's actually good at it. But oh, well, I'd like sorry, to... listeners. Hey, I think I'll take a crack at it. Maybe next time. It was more interesting to observe how Harvey Shank interacted with his environment. Darcy sat in the shelter of a huge boulder, drawing a piece of kelp while Harvey knelt beside her, sharpening his colored pencil. Oh, sharpening her colored pencils. Really sharpened her colored pencils, if you know what I mean. Your, your drawing looks totally realistic, Darcy. Thank you, Darcy answered politely, but I could tell Harvey was starting to irritate her. Do you need another color? Harvey asked, offering her a sea green pencil. No, thank you, Harvey, Darcy replied, pronouncing his name as if she couldn't wait to get it off her tongue. Hey, Corbett, look, Harvey said, sticking the pencil into the middle of a green anemone. The jelly-like mouth closed around the tip. Harvey affected a look of terror. Help, help, it's ripping my arm off. Darcy sighed, closing her notebook. I'm going back to the beach she said, retrieving her pencil box from Harvey, so I can concentrate. Harvey watched Darcy walk away along the rocks. The wind whipped his hair into crazy shapes. What am I going to do, Corbett? 
he said. She hates my guts. Before I could answer, Mike was pointing to the water, screaming, Shark! Shark! I jumped to my feet, knocking my notebook into the tide pool. About 30 yards from shore, a black fin was cutting through the waves. I ran as fast as I could down the rocks, my heart racing. Was it possible? Great whites sometimes came close to shore. My heart sank as another fin appeared, then a third, slicing in and out of the water. I hate to disappoint you people, said Ms. Brent, walking up from behind us. She was looking through binoculars. But those ominous fins belong to a pod of dolphins. It's hard to tell from far away, Mike said sheepishly. Dolphins are boring, Shauna drawled. We've seen them a million times at SeaWorld, said Shane. Darcy was ecstatic. May I borrow your binoculars, Miss Brent? Of course, Darcy, Miss Brent replied. Now, if you three find dolphins so incredibly dull, you can help me unpack the water sample kits from the van. She turned to me. We won't be long, Philip. Can I trust you and Darcy to keep Harvey out of trouble? Sure. I barely heard what she said. My eyes were glued to the shifting waves where the dolphins continued on their journey south. You just gotta take a look. Oh, you just gotta take a look through the binoculars, Philip, Darcy exclaimed and handed them to me. Looking through the lenses made it seem like I was hovering on the surface of the water. I could almost feel cold foam hitting my face as the dolphins flew past, their bodies shiny and smooth as rubber. They're swimming toward the jetty down the beach, I said. Let's go. Darcy and I raced along the cold sand toward the jetty. Anxiously, we struggled over the slippery rocks to the tip, only to discover Harvey had gotten there first. Before either of us could say anything, Harvey had taken off his t-shirt and sneakers and dived into the cold, dark water. He crashed as clumsily into the Pacific Ocean as he had into the swimming pool at the Oasis Apartments. Harvey surfaced, waving. Hey, Darcy, why should we swim with dolphins? Go get Ms. Brent, I said. I'll take care of Harvey. I watched Darcy hurry back over the rocks, holding her arms out to the side for balance. Then I turned to Harvey. Okay, Shank, come on out. The joke's over. We are approaching the climactic moment, Jose. What do you think is going to happen? As you go on, I'm having one of those moments where I don't know if I'm creating false memories for myself, but this is feeling familiar. And I know you said you purchased this from the Scholastic Book Fair, so I've been wondering, you know, is it possible that I came across this book at some point? And I remember even wondering that when um, you initially told me about this one, you know, the three or four times you needed me to find it for you again. <laughs> I'm like, I wonder if I read a book of shark stories at some point. Um because, yeah, like I said, this is feeling vaguely familiar. And I think that based on that and also based on just my feeling for the story, um, we're going to have a moment where a genuine shark does make an appearance. And maybe Philip, incensed by Harvey's 
shenanigans. Uh, perhaps he recognizes it as being a shark's fin as opposed to a dolphin's fin. I, I feel like, again, am I like making this up? Um, and that this isn't something that I previously read. Like, is that maybe kind of the um, the punchline of sorts that, you know, the dolphins were being chased <laughs> by the shark? Uh, so when the shark's fin slices through the water, Harvey recognizes it as a shark's fin. Oh, excuse me, uh, Philip recognizes it as a shark's fin, but Harvey doesn't. Philip has his opportunity to warn Harvey away. Uh, but either Harvey doesn't see it or he does see it and thinks it's a dolphin and, you know, in his usual macho way, decides, oh, I'm going to swim up and say hello. And uh, he ends up getting chomped up by the shark. And I feel like we're also going to have a callback to um, the line that Darcy said that apparently hatched this scheme uh, or at least the the maybe notion um of uh, of all this panning out um when she said that Harvey is so lame <laughs> I'm like oh is he going to get his legs bitten off so that it's like <laughs> oh he really is lame now um yeah that's mm. that's kind of the direction I see it would be a very conscientious seating of the ableist yes. language <laughs> yeah well you know I'm not sure that was that was on the top of a jocelyn's jocelyn right (laughs) i don't think that was on the top of her top of her no i know list of concerns um i'm just trying to sound like a teenager in a disney plus series well you're doing a wonderful job of it so far Uh, your team of writers would be very proud uh, but I think that's how this bad boy is going to pan out. And I hope that I can right. only hope that I'm at least as half as accurate as you were about uncovered. Um, or I should say, for, what forever. if it's the same ending? Oh my God. <laughs> what if it's there's, just like, toilet there's paper a kid swimming in the ocean <laughs> dressed as a toilet paper snowman. I will probably. I don't know. I don't know what I'll do with myself. That'd be a great twist. Yeah, I would not see that coming. But I'm hoping I'm just as right about this ending as you are about that one. So let's see. Let's find out. When last we left off, the line was, Okay, Shank, come on out. The joke's over. The last moments of Harvey Shank's life were, I'm sure he'd agree, quite pleasant. As he thrashed his way in the direction of the long-gone dolphins, he was totally oblivious to the immense shadow gliding toward him from the other direction. Shank! There was, as it turned out, no time to warn him, because the shark had shifted into attack gear. I stepped up to the tip of the jetty just as Harvey's body exploded from the surface, squeezed between the jaws of a giant shark. I froze... Harvey's screams were muted by the pressure exerted by the powerful creature's bite. All I heard from Harvey's mouth was a horrible, gurgling sound. Then the awesome great white took him under. For a moment, everything was quiet. I remembered something I'd read in the shark book about how sharks sometimes follow seals and other marine life, waiting for one that lags behind. You're right, it's because they were following the dolphins. 
We are coming, Philip, Ms. Brent called. Her voice sounded faint in the roar and hiss of the ocean. Something rose from the crimson cloud of water. A hopeful voice in my head said, Harvey got away. He poked the shark in the eyes. He's swimming to the surface, injured, but not beyond repair. He's going to need a hundred stitches, but he'll live. Harvey did rise to the surface. Part of him, anyway. The churning water quieted to a gentle sloshing as what was left of Harvey's body rocked back and forth in the bloody foam like a buoy. Harvey's eyes stared straight ahead, his tattered flesh streaming out from his arms like ribbons. I don't know what was worse, seeing Harvey's battered corpse afloat in the crimson water or watching the shark pull him beneath the waves for the last time. Nausea rose in my throat as I staggered across the jetty. It seemed as if a million years had passed since Darcy and I had run across the stand. Nope. Darcy and I had run across the sand, laughing and carrying on. By the time the others arrived at the jetty, not a trace of Harvey remained. Then there's a passage of time as indicated by that cute little shark silhouette. Each night, as I fall asleep, I see Harvey floating in a silent sea. It's not the choppy surf off Stinson Beach. In fact, it doesn't look like any ocean I've ever seen. It must be somewhere past the horizon, a sunless sea where there are no swimmers or boats or fishermen, many fathoms beneath the surface. Deeper, maybe, than where the great whites swim. After a few weeks... Things settled down at school. The news reporters moved on to some other tragedy, and slowly, day by day, the legend of Harvey Shank was born. He was the boy eaten by a giant squid, strangled by an enormous sea snake, drowned by the ghost of a long-dead pirate. But I alone saw what happened to Harvey Shank, and I'm not talking. That way, the legend will continue to grow. The creatures will become more monstrous and the stories more grotesque. Harvey would have had a good laugh about that. The end. Would he, though? (laughs) As top half would. Yeah. Wow. I'm not sure how to feel about Philip. At the end of all of this, I'm, I mean, I guess the story does indicate that he had no, there was no malice involved in the incident. It wasn't like he planned it, but I don't know. Just the, just the tone of the earlier proceedings made me think that he kind of mapped all of this out. Um, And and also his attitude. I want to see the scene where Harvey's parents are like interrogating Philip, like, please, you were the last one who saw our young boy alive. Can't you just tell us what happened to him? And Philip's just like, "Ah, who could say? Maybe it was a sea monster. Maybe it was a ghost pirate. Isn't sustaining the folklore of our junior high more important to you than the disappearance and 
gruesome death of your son. <laughs> oh, well, when your you put son, it that Harvey way, Philip. I guess I guess <laughs> you got a point there. Sorry to have bothered you. Um, yeah. <laughs> this should be the sequel to uh, Dear Evan Hansen. Dear Harvey Shank. Oh, man. The sequel we deserve, <laughs> but didn't get. Wow. Uh, yeah. How, how, how did you... So you, you've said that you have read this book before. This is the one story mm-hmm. that had um, any shark mutilation or mutilation by shark of note. Um, so I take it that this, as far as I remember anyway, yeah. So this was like kind of the story that you remembered from this collection. Do you remember like what your initial reaction to it was? And does that differ from how you feel about, how you feel about it now? Uh, I think my initial reaction was, um, oh, this guy is my avatar and he seems to be doing well with this girl, Darcy. That makes me feel like I could potentially, uh, you know, you kind of, I think when you're that age, you're kind of uh, primed to be living through the romantic exploits of the main character in a book. Oh, totally. Um, (laughs) So I think that was my main takeaway. And then also like the bloody water, Harvey's, Harvey's part of his body uh, floating up to the surface in a state of horrible, but it, I think, you know what's funny though is I remember even at the time because when you were predicting how it was going to end, and you were saying that like Philip is maybe possibly going to see the shark fin and recognize it from his knowledge of, you know, shark anatomy or whatever from his books, and then decide not to warn Harvey. Like in a way that would be a better ending because it would actually like have been built up from the story that we heard so far, and I think I remember even as a kid being like. I enjoyed that story because it was gory, but also that ending really just kind of came out of nowhere. (laughs) The whole story is basically just like, and then he got eaten by a great white and you're like, Oh, okay. So I guess the whole setup was we're in a club where we go to the ocean sometimes. (laughs) And that's all you really need to know. And then one guy got eaten by a shark. The end. And he was kind of a jerk. So I guess he deserved it anyway. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And Philip, yeah, Philip doesn't really seem to have all that much to do as a protagonist, except for just be like, well, I'm not that sad that happened, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's too bad it didn't culminate in that way. This was, uh, this one came out in 1999, which I'm pretty sure was also the same year that, um, what's that movie? Deep Blue Sea came out. So I had a fever for the flavor of shark stories that year. And I think Deep Blue Sea wins. Yeah, I I would say so. Between that movie and this book. In that one very specific competition. Yes, very specific. Um, Not to go too far afield of the book, but since you kind of brought it up anyway, and as you said, it's pretty much inevitable with certain subgenres this being a shark attack stories you know there is the one and then there is all the other ones that sprung forth from that one works creative loins um like shark boy yeah like shark boy um a love story for the ages <laughs> um just kind of i guess as as brief as you can make it what what 
you know, you, I think you ask. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good luck. You know, welcome to Black Magic Treehouse. Um, Why don't you take five minutes telling me what's going to happen in the next three pages of this yeah, story? Yeah, I will. But I'll be as brief yeah, as possible. Yeah, can you please? Because, you know, we need to save as much airtime for my voice as possible. Um, well, I say that. I don't disagree <laughs> with that. Uh, no. Um, when it comes to Jaws, like, was that a movie, um, you know, that you. Uh, you encountered in the prime of your youth did it have any kind of impact on you and your uh desire or fear for uh over these kinds of stories at all yeah i mean i think jaws is um at the risk of digressing which i know is always the fatal flaw of our podcasting dynamic i guess um i was i think a lot about how like when i was a kid watching tv just meant like anything that happened to be on and it could be something that was like new and for you that just came out or it could be something like the twilight zone or something from like 50 years ago and i was like man that dynamic i don't think that exists anymore because there's just so much content being made all the time and culture moves forward so quickly and i know you always say i sound like an old man when i say stuff like this but like you know what jose sometimes Things are different for kids today. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not saying it's worse. I'm just saying it's different. Um, but so, yeah, I don't know what a kid today would make of Jaws because it never occurred to me that it was like an old movie, you know, watching it, this movie from the 70s on TV in the early 90s. Um, and yeah, I think it was. And my sister, who's a year older than me, is also a very shark fascinated kind of person so i think i grew up in an atmosphere that was very yeah like she had all the books and then there were like pictures in the books of like this guy was bit by a shark and then it always had like his leg or his ab or something where it was like that kind of like i don't know like it was kind of healed but it was also just like this specific like red color that you only see in like photos of old shark bites or something um so it was like, it was like, oh, this guy's okay. But so you feel kind of safe looking at it, but also like, ooh, that's gory and grotesque and horrible. Uh, I don't know. Um, and I think maybe part of the reason that, oh, and Jaws for a long time was my favorite movie of all time, uh, to answer that question specifically. Um, but I don't want to talk too much it about it because that could be a, yeah. That could be a whole other hour of discussion right there. I'm sure. But I think that the thing that is a little bit tricky about a sh the shark subgenre as horror is that it is like Jaws did kind of cause a boom in like shark killings, unfortunately. And so I sort of wonder if like post that, do authors maybe feel more of a sense of responsibility to like try and not just portray them as just like, you know, evil creatures that are just going to come out and kill you like demons. Um, Cause I mean, even in this book, they do have like, they do try to throw away the line about like, Oh, the shark was probably just following after the dolphins and mistook Harvey for a seal or whatever. I mean, I don't know if they say that specifically, but um, so I feel like maybe in order to be, I hate the term politically correct, but let's say politically correct do you have to like be conscientious about the way that you portray sharks now? Cause you don't want to contribute to like public alarm 
um, and like unjustified uh, killings of an animal that is unfortunately uh, across many species extinct or endangered or whatever. I think you're on the nose, uh, especially with regards to the whole conscient the conscientious uh, element at play. Uh, when you said that, it put me in mind of some of our past conversations. I know we touched on this quite a bit in the Creepover episode with regards to um, witches or witch-like characters. It seems like n- these days, you, if you're going to depict a witch, either one that is a true blue, you know, practitioner of the dark arts or someone who is accused of being a witch uh you you have to shed you have to shine a light on the mania of the other people in in the scenario yeah uh, you know the surround yeah. the supporting characters the surrounding characters well, there's a reason that we use the phrase witch hunt as like a political term, right? Like that's kind of like the go-to example of mass hysteria, yeah. I guess, and in a prejudicial sense. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, we've really had um, a reckoning of sorts with that in, you know, more recent decades where, you know, the uh, the, the stories that we so often told ourselves about what these outcast people were up to you know whereas before we kind of delighted in the the gory details of oh in salem you know this many people were uh tried and hung uh on accusations of practicing witchcraft and ooh, isn't that kind of a crazy spooky thing but now it seems like you know uh especially when it comes to entertainment we're more deliberate about like okay look so this was like a terrible thing that happened and you know it's not just a campfire story so yeah i feel like in that way um you know you're right about the shark thing um and it made me wonder like uh, there have there have been things like that that have happened in the past um with wolves i know so i was just trying to puzzle out like what was it in the same way as uh jaws like was was there you know some kind of um you know, was there some kind of story or some kind of narrative that took hold that, you know, led to like the mass wolf killings? Um, you know, I think of, you know, something like maybe the the Beast of Gavaudan, um, where people were convinced that there was like a shapeshifter among, among them. And, uh, you know, they claimed it was a wolf-like beast. So it's like, well, you know, we're just going to be safe. We're going to go out and kill anything that even resembles a wolf. Um, So, yeah, I guess you just kind of have to tread carefully, especially when um, your your work of art, you know, your your form of entertainment could have real life ramifications in that way. Um, So I guess for as... Jose has the vapors. Yeah, for as publicly conscious, I don't know if that's the right phrase. For as I'd say um, socially conscious, but I don't know if that applies to sharks. Conscious, yeah. 
I think so. Right. You know, socially, yeah, or uh, ecologically, yeah, uh, conscious. You, uh, you know, as as ecologically conscious and responsible as uh, those considerations are. At the same time, when you go back to the story or you know the the work of art, whatever you wish to call it, it kind of in this sense, in this context of being you know primarily one in which you know these horrified emotions are hoped to be elicited it kind of takes a little bit of the air out uh, you know a bit when you kind of have to backpedal a little bit and and say like well hold you know hold it folks you know the sharks or the wolves are just acting in a way that they would uh naturally yeah. <laughs> in in uh you know, in nature. So they're not really the bad guys here. It's like, you know, the the greedy developers or the business people who are forcing them into, you know, closer quarters or depleting their numbers or maybe depleting their food source. So now they have to go and, you know, find sus- find sustenance elsewhere. Um, Did you see that movie? Which is like, yes, that is absolutely... The Grey? The Grey? No. Um, that's kind of uh, that, that's another that approach except with the wolves yeah that's one where like uh there's a plane crash in i don't know if it's alaska or some northern country some cold place yeah uh, and it's just about this group of dudes getting like killed off one by one by well mostly wolves but also just nature um and that one is like it does kind of i think err on the side of like their solution to that is to kind of almost like take a mythical tack, like um, kind of letting you know, like the wolves are metaphorical for just, you know, uh, death or the struggles of life that we try to survive against or whatever. So, so I think you're supposed to come away from that being like, okay, they're not literally talking about wolves are going to kill us all, but, but that's another way you could do it. Um, well, we should start wrapping up because I don't want to go too far over the short uh, episode that we're trying to create here. Um, are there any, because I don't really watch a lot of shark movies. Um, I'm just primed to think most of them are probably terrible. <laughs> but I have seen The Meg and The Meg 2. Uh, really enjoyed the first Meg. second one is very skippable. And then that movie that, uh, I think it was called The Shallows, was it? a couple of years ago with Blake Lively as like a surfer who's caught on a rock with an injured leg. And then there's a, the tides coming in and there's a shark circling around. So she, the whole movie is just her like trying to, you know, it's like a chess match. Like, can I get back to the land without this shark killing me or whatever? I saw that one. I thought that was pretty good. And that's really all the shark movies I can think of having seen. Do you have any you would recommend? No, I'm not a big shark movie watcher. I don't think I've seen anything modern. Um, I've, you know, really Jaws is the only thing. I remember seeing like Deep Blue Sea as a kid, um, but I've never sought um, any of them out really intentionally. So I can't really say that I have an opinion on the matter. I do enjoy Deep Blue Sea for all of its... I I mean, for its cheese factor, I guess. And also uh, for the immortal lyrics of uh, LL Cool J, my hat is like a shark's fin. Well, that's going to be all for this episode. 
follow us on well we're not on twitter um and i will never call it x you just uh we have what do we have instagram black black magic treehouse pod uh email us black magic tree they're both the same pod (laughs) at gmail.com okay yeah, they both had pod at the end. For some reason, I thought one had pod and one did not. Talk to us about any close encounters you've had with sharks that will uh, make you f- happy to share. I don't know. If you're a shark that's had a close encounter with a human, be sure to write into the show as well. We want to hear your side of the story. Because like we said, we're we're trying to be as ecologically conscious as we can. So... Your story deserves to be told too. Sharks, write us. We'll tell the tooth. <laughs> and nothing but the tooth. <laughs> oh. All right, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.